a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. <laughs> he said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunched. <laughs> so, uh, if you guys would put mega, mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> Keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. Oh, I don't have any jokes anymore. This is Table Talk Radio, hey. <laughs> where the jokes run out. About <laughs> time. Ah, oh, finally, at last, we just start a show without the nonsense. I know. <laughs> Straight to it. How's it going over there, Pastor Wolfmuller? Great. Very great. Good. Good. Ready for Christmas? You're about uh, mid-Advent here? No way. I. You know what the pink candle means? Uh, joy, I think. Time to start panicking for Christmas shopping. That's about right. Plenty of time. Plenty of time for that. I know. I haven't even gotten close to lighting it yet. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, we have, I think I'm pretty uh, excited about the today's show because, um, you know, I don't know how often, if this is this is something because of the case and its uh, attention, but I don't know if all of the arguments and cases before the Supreme Court are made publicly available, or if it's just for this one. But it is for this one, the one uh, that we're talking about with uh, Mississippi and the abortion law. And uh, we're going to digest some of the arguments and, and pick them apart and, and talk about them in light of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and that, I think, will be a very helpful thing to do. So I'm excited about today's show. I hope so. Uh, uh, first, we do buzzwords. What do you got, Pastor? I got a buzzword generator. Oh, that's right. Am I supposed called to... The Outlines of Doctrinal Theology okay. by A.L. Grabner. What a book. Uh, if you could pick a number between 1 and 280. 17. Whoa. Right at the beginning here. Oh, this is under Purposes of Scripture. And let's see, on this page it's a list of Bible passages... Uh, let's take this third one. The Bible is to uh, preserve and strengthen the faith of the regenerate. Let's let's use that as your buzzword, the regenerate. So that means to generate means to happen or cause to happen or to give birth to, and to re means to do it again. So this is the reborn, and this is a old theological um, way of referring to the Christian, the regenerate ones, those who are born again. Okay, got it. My theological buzzword for you is bios. So uh, we have a couple words in the Greek that oftentimes are translated into the English as life, uh, bios and zoe. Uh, zoe is oftentimes intended to be kind of a spiritual life so that one has come to life um, maybe in Christ, for example. Uh, the, the uses, I think, uh, vary a little bit. Uh, but the one that just mentions that uh, something is alive uh, is bios. Um, now this is, again, can be pretty general or pretty specific. 
Uh, so, like, it's where we get the English word for biology. Um, but in that sense, even even uh, uh, plants can have bios. Uh, but this is also the word that's described to a human being having a human life. So bios is your buzzword. Hey, that will have to do with our topic. I'm sure it will come in. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I guess you're wow. right. Huh, interesting. Wow. All, right, well, <laughs> all right. So we're going to listen to a little bit of the argumentation here before the Supreme Court and the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. So, um, do you know the the law in Mississippi that is being challenged with this case? You know? I believe that that. So I, I've listened to this case twice now. Kind of, I mean, while while driving and while cleaning dishes and stuff like that. If so you're I, driving around Austin, you probably have time to listen to thorough argumentation of the Supreme right. Court. <laughs> so, so I've been trying I've been trying to pay attention to that. I've never listened to a Supreme Court argument before. And so uh, half the time I was thinking, really is this how it normally goes? It doesn't seem that impressive actually. Like I, I was just I was listening to the arguments that were being made and the responses and I thought I could have maybe answered better than that <laughs> on a couple of these things. Like what are they guys what are they thinking? But anyhow, well, this will be interesting to to think about. Other times, you know, they're diving deep into case law that is you're sort of beyond me but so i think the specifics of the case are um that mississippi has uh has a law banning abortions i believe after 15 weeks and the the standard that's set forth by casey is viability which i believe is like 24 weeks or so 27 weeks so um so the Mississippi has dialed it way back and that's what's being challenged in this law. So the Solicitor General of Mississippi is going to come right out and say um yes I suppose you say we're violating Roe and Casey because those are unjust laws. They're wrongly decided and so forth. And so he's asking for a complete overthrow or if not a complete overthrow then some sort of concession where states can set their own times but you know when abortion can be made illegal um but he basically it throughout the argument i think both sides say no you can't there's no middle ground here you either have to overthrow it or or nothing which is really interesting because mm. in the aftermath most of the the guesses i've heard is that it will not be overthrown mm. you know as people who look at this but I think both the people arguing for both sides say an intermediary solution is not going to fix this. You either have to uphold Roe and Casey or overthrow them altogether. That's fascinating. Now, on the one hand, um, uh, I mean, it, it, it seems out of place for the Supreme Court to step in in this, uh, in any, in, in you know, Roe v. Wade or Casey or in any of these, really. Um, Except unless the Supreme Court was stepping in the protection of the unborn, but in other words, to say that um, because the the Supreme Court's job is to um, interpret the Constitution in light of laws of our land that might come in and infringe upon the Constitution. So we could say, you know, a state has a, its freedom by its elected legislature to pass the laws that the people want. And unless one of those laws violates the rights of the Constitution, that state can have whatever laws it wants. 
Right. And so by making the decision of Roe v. Wade, the assertion of the Supreme Court is th- that you're uh, taking away a constitutional right of American citizens by by uh, passing this law. And so if we think about I mean, I, I know this is this is what's being so hotly debated. But what we're what the Supreme Court has said is that a woman has a constitutional right to kill her her unborn child. Um, now, if we think about what what we've that the, the ramifications of that statement that we've been living under for the last whatever it's been fifty years, um, that we're that that mothers have the right to kill their unborn children. And that that right should not be infringed upon by any state law. <laughs> that's that's quite the statement that the Supreme Court and somewhere it's somewhere it's in the Constitution apparently. I mean, I, I haven't yeah, read that, yeah. and, you know, but it's in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So that's part of the argument. And they would, so the the other side would say, no, it's not a it's not a uh, the right to kill your baby. It's the right to be not pregnant. <laughs> And that's the right that's being defended, and that was argued. So we'll hear that actually. Yeah. Um, so all right, let's hear. It. Let's get into this. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court: Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey haunt our country. They have no basis in the Constitution. They have no home in our history or traditions. They've damaged the democratic law. They've choked off compromise. For 50 years, they've kept this court at the center of a political battle that it can never resolve. And 50 years on, they stand alone. Nowhere else does this court recognize a right to end a human life. Consider this case. The Mississippi law here prohibits abortions after 15 weeks. The law includes robust exceptions for a woman's life and health. It leaves months to obtain an abortion. Yet the courts below struck the law down. It didn't matter that the law law applies when an unborn child is undeniably human, when risks to women surge, and when the common abortion procedure is brutal. The lower courts held that because the law prohibits abortions before viability, it is unconstitutional no matter what. Roe and Casey's core holding, according to those courts, is that the people can protect an unborn girl's life when she just barely can survive outside the womb, but not any earlier when she needs a little more help. That is the world under Roe and Casey. That is not the world the Constitution promises. The Constitution places its trust in the people. On hard issue after hard issue, the people make this country work. Abortion is a hard issue. It demands the best from all of us, not a judgment by just a few of us. When an issue affects everyone, and when the Constitution does not take sides on it, it belongs to the people. Roe and Casey have failed, but the people, if given the chance, will succeed. This court should overrule Roe and Casey and uphold the state's law. I welcome the court's questions. That's going to be a good time to take a break here on Table Talk Radio. And then we get back, maybe digest some of what was argued right there. And some more uh, clips from the hearing with the Supreme Court on uh, Roe v. Wade and Casey. Uh, We'll tackle that right after this break. We do want to hear from you. 1-800-385-SOLA. 1-800-385-7652. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Best show ever. Table Talk Radio.
Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. Versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey haunt our country. They have no basis in the Constitution. They have no home in our history or traditions. They've damaged the democratic process. They've poisoned the law. They've choked off compromise. For 50 years, they've kept this court at the center of a political battle that it can never resolve. That is Scott Stewart, the Mississippi Solicitor General, arguing for the Supreme Court that uh, Roe v. Wade and Casey have put the Supreme Court as in a political position that it just cannot resolve. What are your thoughts on that, Pastor Wolfmiller? Well, I think it's right, obviously. Um, and I think that the arguments against Roe and, and the arguments against Casey are solid. I mean, legal arguments as well as moral arguments that the um, that children ought to be afforded the protection of the law seems a very basic thing and that that ex- protection should extend even to the womb. But here's the, and, and this I think will come out a little bit more because I'm, I'm trying to understand the, the other argument and it was actually really nice. I mean, it was horrible, but helpful to be able to hear the arguments um, presented against this, both by the, the two um, lawyers who argued against the Mississippi law, as well as some of the Supreme Court justices who who um, were making arguments against overturning Roe and Wade, to be able to hear those arguments stated out loud to try to understand them. But I think the real argument or thing, the truth that was not stated out loud was this, and that is that women get pregnant. <laughs> I mean, that's just a, it's a fact, but it's apparently a fact that is troublesome to some. And I, hmm. I, I don't wonder if we should just try to say that and, and just notice it. It's, it's not fair for the guys. They can't get pregnant. But it's a weird thing. I was talking to Carrie about it driving this morning to pick up my car from the shop. And I She's said, got some I experience in this issue. Yeah. And I said, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a inequality in nature about this whole deal, and it's this, that women get pregnant and men don't. And when you have an inequality like that, someone's probably going to get jealous of someone else. And the question is, why in the world hmm. is it women who are jealous of men that they can be not pregnant versus men being jealous of women? Now, I mean, pregnancy is hard, I suppose, and difficult i i've never been pregnant myself so i'm just extrapolating from stories i've heard and things i've seen but but the fact that this miracle of new life comes about and that humanity for example dot is not extinguished by this natural but god created wonder of of pregnancy seems like that that is what is at issue so women want to, to the, the, that Roe and Casey are protecting the women, oh, the rights of women, or those who identify as women, to not be pregnant. And that seems like the very, the issue of the thing. Uh, now, there's some viability questions and a bunch of other things, but I think that's the fact that we just got to kind of stare down square in the face. So I, I love the point that you're making, because this 
should be training us to see uh, new life or pregnancy as as the greatest blessing. So that if there's um, one sex that uh, does get pregnant and another sex that doesn't, the one that doesn't should be envious of the one that does because it's such a great and wonderful thing. Uh, I think that's that's commendable. However, I would point out that that can only um, that that's that's really understood in the confines of which God had designed it, so that He had given for the purpose of new life and procreation the institution of marriage. So within marriage, we uh, we can say that and, and acknowledge to be true. But once um, the devil comes along and destroys the institution of marriage, suddenly a uh, new life becomes this great and utter inconvenience, this this obligation, this uh, this cross to bear rather than this wonderful blessing. So um, in that in in that standing where we where we want the the recreational activity, but without the responsibility, then the envy goes the other direction. Right. I can't. And I and then Carrie and I, again, we're talking about this morning. I said, I I just have a hard time believing that that's it, that people just want to be floozies. So we have this big, long thing about murdering the babies because people want to be floozies. And she says, don't you remember David and Bathsheba and Uriah and the whole thing? And she's right. Of course, apparently that's it. I just want to I want to be able to do whatever I want to do, because if if you don't have what we used to call fornication, then you don't have the the this th- issue of the of the unwanted child but how and and but you can't say that anymore i guess that that sexual immorality is is dangerous and deadly but i mean but of course it is and how i mean it's not that's not even hard to figure out i mean mm-hmm. it's nice that the lord told us about it but he wouldn't have had to i mean it's 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 very obvious that that acting married without being married is dangerous to, to to the body and to the conscience and to everybody, to the family and to to every to every single ounce of everything good. It's it's dangerous and deadly to it. But I guess we want to go our hedonistic way, and no matter how many babies we have to sacrifice to get there, then oh well, you know the blood be on our hands because you know. It's it's just a disaster. I, I I don't know how our apparel shop is coming. The the, the apparel shop of simple truths. I, I I like the T-shirt that would say fornication is deadly. <laughs> I just, <laughs> but I mean, so but forna who? I want to stay away from that guy. Yeah, that's right. But I'm you, never going to move to fornication. <laughs> but wait. So, but so, you know, if so, you, if we just say the fact, okay, women get pregnant, but also pregnancy is hard. So now that this sets up a problem, and you got two ways to do it. You can, you can get rid of the problem, which is our way of doing it. You know, hey, my life is full of pain, so I'm just going to get rid of my life. Then I won't have any pain. Or I'm going to this this baby's coming along. Now I'm going to get rid of the baby. Or you could say, you know, how could we, how could we share the burden? of pregnancy and the miracle of new life. And you know what would be the best way to do it is to take the guy who's involved and say, now you share in the burden of this and you are in this thing together for the rest of your lives. And you know what that is called is marriage. It's like marriage is like the perfect feminist argument. I have never understood how in the world the the feminist argument could 
ever turn against the institution of marriage because it is it is in such a profound way honoring all the gifts of femininity and um, uh, putting the men in the place of supporting those gifts that are unique to to women like having babies it uh, this whole thing is astonishing what the, what, what the Supreme Court has done is is created a right out of the Constitution that isn't there that appeals to a person's um, sinful base so that I mean just imagine if there was I mean because we know that uh, murder begins in the heart so I mean just just imagine if there was a way whenever I got mad at someone I could give them a little pill or a, a little shot in the arm and it would kill them and there would be no repercussions for that I mean, so, so that so so that the law has said, um, when when you want when you want to kill this thing that is an inconvenience, you you have the right to do it. So we've we've sterilized the process. It's not like you have to like take a gun and shoot somebody. We've said there's no consequences or repercussions, and now we're throwing those truths out to people who um, are unregenerate and uh, who are self-centered and only caring about themselves. And then you say, oh, well, here you're at a crossroads where you know, you've, you've, you've been, in, been enjoying the flesh as you follow your every um, impulse. And now you have the crossroad of being um, responsible for another human being that has financial ramifications and all that goes along with it. Or you can do this one thing that is uh, – so-called sterile. I'm, I'm being, you know, sarcastic here. Or, you know, uh, uh, but uh, you know, it's sterile and they're in, in and it's um, morally neutral and it's legal. In fact, it's your right. So, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me when we've created that environment. Well, of course, the un, unregenerate are gonna are gonna um, live in that such in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's crazy. Okay, now so the other part of the argument that's made by Mississippi is that um, that the court has put itself in the middle of a political problem that it cannot understand, so that, that it cannot solve. So the court has inserted itself where it doesn't belong. So basically he's asking for the court to recuse this and let the people decide in the form of perhaps state law or even Congress, he mentions, or even as if like boy i hope that congress doesn't do this but it could be but the court this this is a thing that does not belong to the court um so it's basically asking the court to step out and i think that's uh, there's some wisdom there as well mm -hmm. uh but you can see the kickback from the court saying hey now wait a minute in fact one of the judges sotomayor or keegan maybe or what is it keegan says it's um Kag elena kagan says um uh that you know the supreme the the constitution doesn't say that we are the final authority on these things but you know we are <laughs> <laughs> so you see the court resisting this kind of giving up that authority being in a proper place so that was also a very interesting thing yeah it, that came it out of this uh, i mean that that's a helpful thing to think about too oops it looks like look we're out on time I'll make that point right after this break. Uh, but whether the Supreme Court has as a duty to settle political disputes, we'll be right back.
Bible Talk Radio. Disappointing listeners since 2008. The Sunday Drive Home Grappling with the Text on the Theo Vlog. These are some of the playlists on the YouTube channel. Visit YouTube slash Wolfmuller1. Check it out there. All right, welcome back to Table Talk Radio, listening to some of the argumentation before the Supreme, cream, excuse me, before the Supreme Court. Um, and I was just going to make the point that uh, the there, there's this kind of great uh, controversy about whether this Supreme Court uh, should be a political body. Now, um, so so th- where this came up, and I think it's still I think it's still lingering out there. I, I think that we're going to see this um, come back up. I, I personally. My prediction is is that if this particular case is decided in a way contrary to what the leftists want, then the conversation will be front and center to expand the number of seats on the Supreme Court. And um, so the the conversation that happened when uh, Justice Ginsburg died and then uh, President Trump had the opportunity to appoint uh, his nominee, and that was obviously a flip. You know, someone, uh, you, know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, being uh, kind of a, a leftist uh, judge, and then uh, President Trump, uh, conservative president, appointing uh, her successor, uh, brings up this whole matter of of politicism. I mean, even in describing this, I you talk about left and right judges, which is. Uh, not what it should be. Now, of course, we should have multiple. I mean, there's a reason that there's not just one judge, one Supreme Court judge, that we want multiple judges because there are different uh, theories and philosophies of reading the law and understanding the law. Um, and then there are certain um, certain judges that I think um, uh, perhaps rule by their political perspective rather than the rule of law. So, so it's good to have. Um, multiple multiple judges for that reason but when when that fleet that seat flipped the discussion said well we need to add more seats because um you know president trump is is packing the supreme court uh well he really just nominated someone when there was a vacancy which is what a president does (laughs) that that's Mm -hmm. that's what the president's job is um Mm -hmm. but what was threatened was the political position or the political makeup of the Supreme Court. So uh, we we already see the Supreme Court as a political body when it's not supposed to be or even intended to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. And, and it, it's um, one of the things, the part of the conversations that was brought up was, is this being is this case being brought now because there are different people on the court and what does that make of the court hmm. but how is that in fact and so i think again like sotomayor was making that point like this is if we change because it's different people we are political mm-hmm. but how how does that not work exactly the opposite as well like yeah well if there would have been different people when it came the first time it would have been just dis- yeah it, it so, so yeah, so so um, uh, Albert Mueller was making this point that there's this uh, uh, principle in laws of stare decisis, meaning that if a if a if a court has ruled on a particular matter, 
um, then that then that decision um, informs the way that law should be interpreted into the future because um, that way the courts don't have to retry every instance that uh, happens with the same issues at hand, uh, okay. that, that, that the court's decision can help us understand how law should be interpreted. Uh, so, so the argument was that we have started decisis with Roe v. Wade and Casey that we don't have to hear this case again. And Albert Mueller made the point, well, the, the Supreme Court didn't argue stare decisis when they redefined Title IX to include um, matters of gender or sexual orientation. So if you want to argue stare, stare decisis, then then why? how can there be a new definition of things like discrimination? Mm-hmm. Well, this is uh, there was one uh, extended uh, conversation back and forth where one of the solicitors arguing for for the state uh, was being questioned by one of the justices and maybe Justice Thomas who and he was uh, and it was th- this was on the the decision is it the Brown decision that says that um, that separate but equal is constitutional and it, the, the question was if there was no new information can you just say that if that was tried at the same point that it should have been declared wrong because obviously it was wrong mm-hmm. And the defender could not say that. You you cannot overthrow precedent just because precedent is wrong, which was an amazing thing to say. Mm. In other words, it was saying that the, the Supreme Court is, because of the stare decisis, is not, is not permitted to say that it made a mistake. There's a sort of an, like an assumed infallibility. Mm. That, and that's a very dangerous, I, I think, place that, to go but that's maybe one of the smaller points yeah well we have more to listen to let's jump in back into the uh, courtroom mr rickleman mr chief justice and mate so this is um the senior director for the center of reproductive rights in mississippi please the court mississippi's ban on abortion two months before viability is flatly unconstitutional under decades of precedent Mississippi asks the court to dismantle this precedent and allow states to force women to remain pregnant and give birth against their will. The court should refuse to do so for at least three reasons. First, stare decisis presents an especially high bar here. In Casey, this court carefully examined and rejected every possible reason for overruling Roe, holding that a woman's right to end a pregnancy before viability was a rule of law and a component of liberty it could not renounce. The question then is not whether Roe should be overturned, but whether Casey was egregiously wrong to adhere to Roe's central holding. Second, Casey and Roe were correct. For a state to take control of a woman's body and demand that she go through pregnancy and childbirth with all the physical risks and life-altering consequences that brings is a fundamental deprivation of her liberty. Can I jump in here? Is that okay? Yes. Are you okay? I'm <laughs> so, okay with it. <laughs> so um, I wonder if it follows by logic. So, uh, I mean, it's interesting that we were mentioning the story decisive because the argument here is basically um, it's been set in rule of law that it is a constitutional right for a woman to not have to bear the burden of pregnancy. Um, And I guess you'd have to say, I mean, you'd have to say up until the point of viability. So if we're, if we're following the logic, 
the Supreme Court has also said after the moment of viability, a woman loses the right, does not have a constitutional right to not have to undergo the terror of pregnancy. (laughs) Right. You see what I'm saying? So so this this argument cuts two ways. Mm-hmm. If if you're going to argue it's a constitutional right to not have to endure pregnancy, then that ends at viability. And so um, how can we um, have any protections uh, for so-called women's rights after viability um, just just on the basis of this argument alone? So like That's in right. Oregon, for example, you can walk into an abortion clinic three days before you give birth and have an abortion, and there's no law to stop you from doing that. Right. And it's been talked about the, the, having the ability to even end a life afterwards, which is after birth, which is comes up especially in the laws that they're passing that you have to s- try to save the life of a child of, who's born alive after a botched abortion. And those laws have been argued against and failed, which is an amazing sort of thing but it it points to what you're talking about here and that is that that apparently it's okay for the state to control a woman's body to not into pregnancy at some arbitrary at some point and that point is viability but i don't think that's it i, I wish someone would ask if medicine advanced to the point that a child became viable from the moment it was conceived like maybe you have some mm-hmm. sort of artificial womb or something like that mm-hmm. And so there is no point of viability, that the child is viable from the very moment of conception. Does that mean that the woman has no right of abortion? <laughs> and I don't think anybody, I don't think this person would say, oh, yeah, okay, that's fine. Then. If that's mm-hmm. if viability is zero, then we shouldn't have abortion. No, I don't think anybody would say that, which is which exposes, I, I don't think, which exposes the point is viability is not the real thing here. It's an arbitrary distinction. Right. Right. And I, I agree with you. And that was part of the opening argument for Mississippi was to say, look, um, viability uh, can be nudged earlier with greater um, medical care. And then the people. I mean, he was arguing that the, it's the people that make um, make this country. So if we have people who are willing to, to care for the unborn, unborn, then how how can we argue that this this person has the right to terminate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Preserving a woman's right to make this decision until viability preser- protects her liberty while logically balancing the other interests at stake. You know, like the unborn's interest to live. Well, so, that, and this is the point, and that's the interest that does not enter into it to the po- until the point of viability. And then all of a sudden, the other interest is... So it's, it assumes that there is no interest of the child until that child is viable, which seems a bit presumptuous. I mean, imagine, imagine, I mean, this is, if you were in a courtroom or listening to arguments of a courtroom and they were arguing about the viability of, of, of your right to live and they're saying, I don't know, he... He he uh, he doesn't eat very well, <laughs> you know. He doesn't take very good care. He kind of he's kind of smelly. Doesn't take showers enough. And you're going, wait a minute. This means I don't have a human life because of some arbitrary criteria that you're you're creating. Like, don't I get to say something here? Do I have an opinion when I get to live? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> 
All right, we need to take a breather, and then we have a little bit more audio of this uh, court hearing to play. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio. The disaster continues. The daily Bible meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. All right, welcome back. We're listening to the argument before the Supreme Court in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case. And the Center for Reproductive Rights uh, senior director is uh, testifying. I think this is her opening argument. Third, eliminating or reducing the right to abortion will propel women backwards. Two generations have now relied on this right, and one out of every four women makes the decision to end a pregnancy. Mississippi's ban would particularly hurt women with a major health or life change during the course of a pregnancy. Poor women who are twice as likely to be delayed in accessing care. And young people or those in contraception who take longer to recognize a pregnancy. To avoid profound damage to women's liberty, equality, and the rule of law, the court should affirm. Okay. Any quick thoughts about her argument, that her third point there? Well, there's some, I mean, it's an amazing thing to think of that. So it it takes away women's freedom, which I think is a new aspect of this argument. I don't think that was what was at issue. It was privacy and and autonomy was mm-hmm. what was being argued in Roe and Casey, and now it's a freedom. So to, the freedom to be not pregnant is what is what causes women to be able to advance in the ID, and mm-hmm. it's, it just kind of breaks your heart to say, hey, "Look, that's in other words, what what makes women able to advance is not being women," and that. It's probably a very. It's just kind of philosophically very hurtful. Um, but also to remember that of those one in four women that have had abortions, I imagine half of those uh, young women who were aborted also had trouble advancing in life because they did not have life. And so it's it's it, this is a weird sort of thing. It's like we want to make things better for those who managed to survive the gauntlet of being in the womb in you know mm-hmm. in the last 50 years right so so it kind of falls short when you when you simply factor in the child in the womb into all these arguments none of them stand yep yep well said general prelogger mr chief justice and may it please the court For a half century, this court has correctly recognized that the Constitution protects a woman's fundamental right to decide whether to end a pregnancy before viability. That guarantee that the state cannot force a woman to carry a pregnancy to term and give birth has engendered substantial individual and societal reliance. The real-world effects of overruling Roe and Casey would be severe and swift. Nearly half of the states already have or are expected to enact bans on abortion at all stages of pregnancy, many without exceptions for rape or incest. 
Women who are unable to travel hundreds of miles to gain access to legal abortion will be required to continue with their pregnancies and give birth with profound effects on their bodies. I'm going to just jump in real quick. I know we're trying to get through some audio, so I'm not doing this too much, but uh, this is, I think, just a slippery slope argument, isn't it? So that uh, if if we decide this, then all these other states are going to um, pass laws uh, to uh, stop abortion. But that is a, that's a red herring from what the actual argument is. The actual argument is, you know, sh- should, should we defend the life of the unborn? And you have to assume the answer is no to jump to the, the, the causation that she is worried about. But if we, if we rightly determine that this unborn is a human life, then, then it would follow that the, that would be a good thing. So, you know, slippery slope argument is actually a way to dodge the issue on the table and say, well, we sh- should dismiss it because of the ramifications. Right. That's right. Health. If we let if of- we let people be free, they'll make mistakes. So they must not be free. <laughs> exactly. Their lives. If this court renounces the liberty interest recognized in Roe and reaffirmed in Casey, it would be an unprecedented contraction of individual rights and a stark departure from principles of stare decisis. The court has never revoked a right that is so fundamental to so many Americans and so central to their ability to participate fully and equally in society. The court should not overrule this central component of women's liberty. Okay, anything more to say about that, Pastor? I mean, it's again, it's the point. That, so there's a, the, the argument that there's a constitutional right to end pregnancy before viability, but if that's the case, then why not in, have a constitutional right to end pregnancy after viability? Mm-hmm. I mean, what is the difference? What is actually the difference? And and again, if viability through technology was increased to zero, would that matter? Or or uh, I mean, look, if viability was determined that even after you were born, you weren't. I'll just tell you what, if you just put me out in the middle of the sticks somewhere, I would not be viable. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't keep myself alive without Carrie. Does that mean that I'm not you you know, that you can just. (laughs) End someone's life? I'm well, useless, only only you know, Carrie but... can. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, I got it. It's like I've got another baby. You know, and she's going to walk around just... reminding you. Listen, you're not viable. Just just letting says, you know, <laughs> you are an affront to my liberty interests. <laughs> it's true, right. and, and and it's you know, if if something is wrong, if we if we've relied on this thing for so many years, but we've relied on a wrong thing, does that mean you shouldn't change it? It's crazy. And this whole question of rape and incest is also a red herring because I I think you just have to say, I I mean, okay, it it brings a couple of things into into focus, which I think is maybe helpful for the argument. But in, in large ways, it is not because you say, okay, let's just say that you can't have an abortion except in rape and incest. Are you happy with that? And they say, no, 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 no. (laughs) Of course not. We want everyone to be able to have an abortion, no matter how the pregnancy came about. And say, so let's just take rape and incest off of the table, because that's not really what we're talking about, is it? The same thing with viability. It's not really what we're talking about, is it? So, so the um, the whole thing is this: the preserving this um, the capacity of women to be not pregnant when, and I, I think maybe here's the central point in my thinking, is that the capacity for women to be pregnant is 
one of the greatest gifts from God. I mean, that, and that we cannot see that or recognize it is a deep sadness. I mean, here, here's the problem. We don't even, I mean, we need more than Roe and Casey to be overturned in the law. We need Roe and Casey to be overturned in every human heart so that we can start to recognize what is, in fact, good and rally around the good, which is uh, Adam and Eve and Abel and Seth and I suppose even Cain for a little while, uh, we, to rejoice in that, to rejoice in the be fruitful and multiply that we see all the time, and um, and to and to give thanks to God for it. That's that's really what we need to pray for. Yeah, it's pretty interesting to hear feminists and sexual revolutionists argue on the basis of institution. <laughs> Like right. <laughs> they're the ones that are, you know, wanting, they're the progressives. They're moving along. We need to be, you know, whatever, tearing down statues and, and, you know, uh, changing the way we think about things. But when it comes to this matter, Hey, this has been decided. We can't change things. We, we'd be going backwards. <laughs> it's just like, wait a minute. You're, <laughs> you guys are the ones saying that all this institution is, is, is stopping you, preventing you. All of a sudden you want to call upon it when it, when it benefits you. Yeah. And it's just a rage against the machine that and and just this kind of the natural fact is that the 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 words be fruitful and multiply still echo in our own bodies and you can't you can't stop that word. Mm. You can't stop that word. You you can rage against it, but the more you rage against the word, I mean this and this is the creative word, not the redemptive word, but the more you rage against the word, um the the more you know, the more insane you get, the more you leave reason. That uh, that is the logos, and the more m murderous and ugly things things get. So you, at some point, we gotta sort of, well, no, not sort of. At some point, we just have to face the reality of the fact that that you that we are sexual, um, that we are that the Lord has designed us to reproduce, and that that is part of what it means to be male and female and and that there's a there's a way that we can react to that you have a minute and 20 seconds to talk about 10 commandments well so the sixth commandment obviously goes into play here and maybe we could say you, you know that this this whole thing is a rebellion against the sixth commandment you should not commit adultery but how much nicer is it to have a word saying you shall not commit adultery than to have a scalpel that says you shall no longer live I mean, just as a sort of comparative, you, you're, you're going to have one or the other. How nice is it that the Lord gives us a word? The fifth commandment is obviously also in play here, that these babies in the womb are created um, uh, after the image of God and are deserving of the protection of the law. So uh, we recognize that. The fourth commandment, which is honor your father and your mother and the gift of family, as well as the gift of government, uh, comes into play here. Whenever we're hearing something at the court and we're hearing an argument, amazing. It's Eighth Commandment. So this has to do with the words and telling the truth and making judgments, and that's there. I think that the fact that women are jealous of men being not pregnant versus men being jealous of women being pregnant, that has to do with Ninth and Tenth Commandments. And that we have a word from the Lord that tells us how we ought to love and serve one another, that's going to be uh, First, Second, Third Commandments. That leaves only the seventh commandment. Oh, that's oh, and uh, 
we should re- resist that also. Ah, great, great words. Thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Where the points are. May it please the court. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. This edition is Table Talk Radio. This is not for is everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep pain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.